1: it's just so easy. You pull out your phone, open the app, and bam! an Uber is there to pick you up. But what about those other
0: guys? You
1: know, the, the yellow
0: taxis? Yeah, they have feelings too. Could it really be possible that Paul McCartney died in 1966? We'll examine the bizarre world of music's most notorious conspiracy theory.
1: E-Harmony, Tinder, OkCupid. Okay Dating apps and websites are everywhere, and they're big business. But do they work? All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Jay, when is the last time, if you've ever, hailed a taxi? And what was that experience like? So, so not an Uber or a Lyft, but a yellow old school classic taxi.
0: I've never hailed a taxi. And it honestly sounds kind of like my nightmare to have to stand out on the street and like yell and wave my <laughs> hands. And yeah, I prefer the, the anonymous, you know, using my app and summoning the car to me. That just that's more my speed. I'm
1: not kidding, man. I could see you standing there for close to an hour. Trying to hail
0: a taxi because <laughs> you just you're I'd, like, I'd not start even to, close to the road. I'd start to hold my hand up halfway and be like, "Oh, oh, oh already missed him." All or right, the, right or the, the taxi
1: one. would pull up, you would have gotten it. It pulls up, somebody else gets in, and you apologize to them, I'm like, "Oh, you're, you're welcome." <laughs> 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 well, Jay, for me, I, I think the year was 2009. I was working for a baseball team, and we had a weekend series in Nashville, Tennessee. I was with the team hanging out in downtown Nashville, and I needed to get back to the hotel. Hailed a taxi, easy enough. Our hotel was literally a straight shot, okay, two miles back the other way from downtown Nashville. The taxi cab driver took me all up and down every back road, running up the meter as we went. Something to the tune of like 30 bucks for a two-mile drive. So, Jay, unbeknownst (laughs) to me at the time, though, change was in the air, when it came to ride-hailing services. A company that we use today as the descriptor for the industry began in 2009. Much like Google in the internet search world, or Kleenex when it comes to tissues, yes, Jay. in 2009, the ride-hailing giant Uber was launched and changed everything about an industry that was nearly a century old. Jay, it was actually announced earlier this year that Uber struck a historic deal in New York City with two New York City taxicab companies, which in part gives Uber app users access to the taxi drivers and vice versa. So you can actually get a taxi through the Uber app now in New York. The stunning announcement between the longtime rivals with Wired Magazine comparing it to as unthinkable as if the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees joined each other for a goodwill tour, think about that, is taking the ever-evolving world of the business of ride-hailing to the next level. This deal had long been unthinkable. These two hate each other. So Jay, let's explore. Why did things suddenly change?
0: This is like our generation's Camp David Peace Accords. I have no idea what that is, but I'll (laughs) I'll I'll tell you later.
1: (laughs) Well, Jay, since at least the 1930s, the taxicab industry has been extremely regulated. To drive a yellow taxi in cities like New York, Chicago, or Washington, D.C., a driver had to make a very serious financial investment. A limited number of taxicab driver medallions, an actual physical piece of metal, like a little mini license plate. These things were issued and sold to taxi drivers. This medallion represented a licensing fee paid to the host city. And Jay, the medallion offered more than just a chance to legally drive people around town in a taxi. It offered a career path. And in many cases, it offered a chance at a life in America for the countless immigrants and their families that chose that career. Driving a cab has never been easy. Traffic, stressful situations, long hours, but the system worked as it was. That is, until it was disrupted. When ride-hailing companies like the giants Uber and Lyft came along, they bypassed the medallion system. And these companies they took off, both for their ease of access. Book a ride on your phone, it's that easy and their rating system. Know the quality of driver picking you up before you even meet them. Starting in the mid-2010s, more people, Jay, were using Uber each year than taxis in the most famous of all taxi cities, New York. In fact, by 2018, over 70% of ride-hailing business was going to these companies, with only 6% of the industry business going to the taxi cab companies. Those medallions once thought to be a family nest egg and worth as much as $1 million as recently as 2014 were now worth just $170,000. Jay things were getting ugly and quick. In fact, taxi cab drivers were even committing suicide at an alarming rate feeling that their once promising career path had been stolen from them with Uber. All you needed was a car and some free time and you could be an employee. All of the red, often expensive tape that came with taxis was virtually gone. So heading back to this historic deal between Uber and the New York City taxi companies, why? How did this unlikely marriage happen? Well, it happened for a few reasons. For starters, the pandemic nearly destroyed the taxicab industry, an industry that had fewer and fewer riders every year, all of a sudden had none. Next, jobs, like an Uber driver, often a part-time gig, became more or less unneeded with the pandemic leading to fewer folks needing rides. So Uber simply didn't have the drivers to meet the demand when the world opened back up from the pandemic. The two rivals kind of needed each other. Jay, while the partnership means more paying work for cab drivers, it also means they are subject to the fares and the standards set by the Uber app. And it means that the industry disruptor, Uber, once thought to be the best startup in history, has had to do what many a disruptor and startup before it has done. Kind of go back and embrace the old way
0: of doing things. So the Camp David Peace Accords was whenever Jimmy Carter facilitated a peace agreement between Egypt and Israel in the like late 1970s because they were you know, constantly going to war. And uh, so maybe it's not quite at that level, but, you know, there's some similar kind of DNA there. Riveting. (laughs) So, Dave, when it comes to the Beatles, the band, the Beatles... Uh, Are you a fan? Do you like their music? Do you like some of it? Do you like all of it? What's that look like?
1: Yeah, so I like the Beatles. My, My dad is a super fan, so he loves the Beatles. He knows everything about the Beatles, and we really had a good time watching the recent Beatles documentary, which was excellent. Uh, get back on Disney Plus. I recommend that. It, even if you're just a fan of music, it was so good. Um, so we had a good time watching that. So I, I have a new appreciation and interest in the Beatles just honestly because of that documentary.
0: Well, Dave, have you ever heard the conspiracy theory that Paul McCartney is actually dead?
1: <laughs> no, but I love it. <laughs> and what's really interesting about that is I hope he's not because a friend of mine actually paid upwards of, I think, like
0: two or three hundred bucks to go see him this weekend. Yeah, you'd have to issue a lot of refunds. <laughs> Well, yeah, Dave, I mean, one of the most famous of all music conspiracy theories is that on November 9th, 1966, Paul McCartney died in a car crash at the height of the Beatles popularity. And then in order to maintain the level of success that they had attained, the record label found a body double, a man who looked strikingly similar to Paul McCartney, sometimes named Billy Shears and sometimes named William Campbell, depending on who's telling the story. But then McCartney's bandmates, still mourning the loss of their friend, placed clues throughout their albums to pay tribute to him from then on out. So, evidently, this rumor started on October 29th, 1969, after a DJ named Russ Gibbs started the hoax, when a caller phoned in and asked him to play a clip from the song Revolution 9 from the Beatles' White Album, but backwards. When he did this on air, he heard the words, quote, Turn Me On, Dead Man. So from there, fans started digging and the clues started flying. At the end of the song, Strawberry Fields Forever, John Lennon says, I buried Paul. Then fans notice that on the cover of Abbey Road, which shows the four band members crossing the street... Fans would interpret this image to be a funeral procession with John Lennon leading the way in white as the heavenly figure, Ringo Starr in black as the undertaker, George Harrison in denim as the gravedigger, and McCartney out of step and barefoot as the corpse. In the photo, McCartney holds a cigarette in his right hand despite being left-handed, and the car in the background has a license plate that reads 28 if which suggests that Paul would have been 28 if he hadn't died at the age of 27. Then fans pointed to more clues uh, on the album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. On the album sleeve, Paul is wearing a badge that says O.P.D. on his arm, which stands for Officially Pronounced Dead. On the album cover, Paul's instrument is black, while everyone else's is brass. The first line of the song She's Leaving Home, which goes Wednesday morning at 5 o'clock as the day begins, references the time of Paul's death, which according to the theory was on Wednesday, November 9th, 1966 at five in the morning. On the song, A Day in the Life, John sings the lyrics, he blew his mind out in the car and recorded the phrase, Paul is dead, miss him, miss him, but you can only hear that if you play the song backwards. The theory Why are abs- people always
1: <laughs> playing songs backwards, by the
0: way? Yeah, it's like... Like, how is that a thing? Do you remember back in, like, the 90s, it was, like, a thing with, like, the metal... The Wizard of
1: Oz thing?
0: Yeah, there's all that stuff, like, they're like, oh, the Pink Floyd album syncs up to Wizard of Oz, and, like, if you play Metallica backwards, it's, like, the devil or something like that. So, Dave, the theory absolutely blew up from there as fans scoured for clues through the Beatles albums. They played songs backwards. They held mirrors up to album covers. They picked apart the backgrounds of images for clues. The rumor appeared in more than 100 newspapers and across network evening news. Now, for context, Dave, in the year 1969, the Beatles were sort of in the process of breaking up. The band had quite a bit of tension behind the scenes, and both John and Paul were working on solo albums. The rumor brought quite a bit of attention to their past work and evidently annoyed and angered the band members. John Lennon even personally called into the same radio station where the conspiracy began and denied everything calling the theory, quote, the most stupid rumor I've ever heard. Then from the infighting, Lennon took a shot at McCarthy in his 1971 album Imagine, where he sang, those freaks was right when they said you was dead. The one mistake you made was in your head. And Paul was then featured in Life magazine in 1969, where he was asked about the rumor. And he obviously spoke about how ridiculous it all was. The cover of that issue of Life read, Paul is still with us. Paul even got into physical fights with at least two journalists over the rumor. But once the theory was out there, it only grew in popularity despite all of these denials. And to this day and in the years since, the former members of the Beatles have had fun with it when asked about it. And Paul even gave a nod to the theory in 1993 when he named an album Paul is Live, uh, playing off of the theory Paul is Dead. Now, by 2013, the rumor had faded. And we know this because a poll that measures conspiracy theory belief conducted by public policy polling concluded that only 5% of the population believed it. Behind, we faked the moon landing at 7%, and ahead of the world is controlled by shape-shifting reptilians at 4%. And Dave, to me, this theory, while it's just fun to talk about because it's interesting, it's pretty clear that there really isn't any truth to it. But why I think it's lasted so long is because it really exemplifies why we are so drawn to the mystery of conspiracy theories. The clues are simply just Facts stretched to fit a narrative that can really be found anywhere in anything to prop up anything. It shows that we really can prove nearly everything we want if we dig deep enough and craft the narrative around the theory. It's why we love conspiracy theories. It's the rush of discovering something new or of breaking the code. And while conspiracy theories can be fun discussion topics, a couple things are true here. One is that our brains love them from a scientific and psychological standpoint. Conspiracies have almost always existed because they help us explain the world around us in a way that can comfort us by bringing order to things happening in our world but another thing is that conspiracies can be dangerous if they pull us too far from reality and the pursuit of truth as can be seen with a long list of conspiracies the paul is dead rumor to me is sort of somewhere in the middle of it all It's a really good case study in why conspiracy theories take off in the first place. If someone wants badly enough to believe in something, you really can find some sort of evidence to prove it if you just look hard enough.
1: So Paul didn't really fake his death as much as it was just kind of faked for him. But earlier this year, so in earlier 2022, a survivalist, so a guy named Jacob Greer that had faked his death in 2016 was found. So this guy just lived in the woods for six years, so he didn't have to go to jail. Like, why would you... How does that end? It, it, it can't end.
0: Up. Yeah, not in today's Obviously for world. him, it
1: ended in jail, but six <laughs> years in the woods. I mean, you're eating berries, you're drinking like puddle water. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jay, let's pretend that I don't really know you, okay? Okay. That I've never met you before. Okay, so now you and I started talking, maybe at like a business after hours event. I have some cubes of cheese on a little plate. You have some meatball sauce on your shirt.
0: Okay, it's okay, getting so weirdly gonna, detailed. We're casually,
1: we're casually talking. So Jay, that's your name, right? It's Jay?
0: Uh, yeah, it is. Not
1: short, for, not short for
0: Jason? It is not.
1: Okay, well, uh, so Jay, how did you meet your wife again?
0: Well, we met in college. I was 18. She was 18. We were in an English class together and, uh, It took off from there.
1: Could not have been more boring.
0: (laughs) It's not very (laughs) exciting. I mean, uh, yeah, it's your typical uh, boy meets girl.
1: Well, Jay, honestly, the way that you and I met our significant others is kind of traditional, I guess you could say. But, Jay, the way we meet our significant others as the human race, as a whole, has always wildly varied throughout the ages. In fact, no lie, I worked for a guy when I was in high school that met his wife, okay, get ready for this, over the internet, playing Yahoo Pool. <laughs> yes, he met his wife playing pool on the internet in the mid-2000s. They actually started dating sight unseen. I just so love he's the way she shot lucky. that eight ball. He, yeah, I guess he's lucky that he wasn't catfished. Like, he met up with her one day only to discover that she's a 70-year-old man. But anywho, today we explore, do dating apps and or websites, which is big business in 2022, do they really work? Jay, the list of ways to meet someone online has grown and evolved through the years. What was once perhaps a bit taboo feels awfully mainstream today. Starting with the launch of Kiss.com in 1994, the list of dating websites currently goes from the well-known to the bizarre. There's tons of them. Let's see. I'll run down just a few for you, okay? Here are some of the more famous ones. eHarmony, Christian Mingle, OkCupid, Tinder, Bumble, Match.com. sure you've heard of all those. Now, some not-so-well-known ones. Okay, we have Badoo, uh, PlentyofFish.com, one of my (laughs) personal favorites, and this one actually has a commercial campaign, Farmers Only, so if you're not a farmer, get out of here, Spooner. And Huggle. (laughs) Jay, the list continues to grow because, well, people are using them. The users continue to grow. In 2022, according to Pew Research, 30% of Americans claim to have used a dating app, with nearly 11% of them saying they used one in the past year. And that 30% number is up big time, over a 20% jump from just 2014. 2014. And Jay, to answer our question, yes, dating apps and websites do actually work. In 2020, 12% of all dating app users claimed to have either formed a meaningful, long-lasting relationship through an online service or actually got married, met their future spouse. And while success rates have risen for the apps, so have the profits. Tinder, the most powerful and largest dating app today, made over $1.2 billion dollars in 2019, highlighting just how much we are willing to pay to find love. So Jay, while the evidence does suggest they work and the money is there to show that they're profitable, are they healthy? Well, the data suggests Americans are about as split about that as we are about everything else. And while 12% may have found love, a lot of others don't. 45% of users actually reported feeling more frustrated and lonely after using an app, and a similar number, coming in at around 46%, think that apps are an unsafe way to actually meet a love interest. And many argue that while dating apps can be useful, the potential harm really does outweigh the benefit. Dating apps are, by design, superficial. 71% of dating app users admit to placing a ton, the utmost number one, level of importance on the photo attached to the profile and nearly three quarters 75 percent of all users said that they eventually learned that something on someone else's profile was a lie so jay i get why dating apps are popular and while you and i didn't use them to find our spouses i don't think they're going anywhere so I am curious, what would your dating profile say if you perhaps <laughs> were on the market trying to find somebody?
0: I mean, I would imagine I would do it uh, in the same way I do everything in life. I'd just keep it very simple and see what happens. So make a list unchecked. of the interests, Yeah, maybe three photos, and let's fly.
1: Would we have a shirtless pick? Or?
0: Oh, no, I don't think I'm one of those people.
1: And I must have worked for a lot of weird people because I actually also worked for a guy, another guy in high school, a different guy than the Yahoo pool guy. This guy had a dating profile, and he, he just didn't understand why no one ever messaged him or ever wanted to, to chat. And he showed me his profile once. His profile picture was the Millennium Falcon from <laughs> Star Wars. It, it wasn't even him. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review commute on Apple Podcasts Spotify or your favorite podcast network. We're on social, check us out. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutepodcast.com. Music for commute is provided by my main man Jason Salmons for JSIS, and I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week.
0: So while we both weren't really you know, r- right in that sweet spot of using a dating app to find our significant other. Of the two of us, only one of us on their first date with their future significant other took them to a restaurant and then used a coupon on the first date. Now, which of the two is that?
1: <laughs> okay, so first of
0: all, that wasn't a date.
1: <laughs> my wife what would you
0: call that. a boy and a girl both single trying to uh, get to know each other over dinner? Uh, a hangout? <laughs>
1: A friendly breakfast. It was breakfast first of all. So breakfast. I had a BOGO coupon. So it's irresponsible not to use it. It's a buy one get one. So I used the buy one get one. I mean, it was that was it.
0: I mean, you we used parked on opposite sides of the a parking date.
1: lot. It wasn't a date. It was a hangout. <laughs>
0: Man, uh, uh, I'm I'm very thankful that your uh, your wife uh, saw past this and continued the relationship on. That you all ended up together.
1: Well, there was no relationship to continue on because it hadn't. It didn't exist. Do you
0: think she immediately texted her friends afterwards and said, "OMG, he used a coupon"?
1: No, she probably thought, "Like, man, this guy is really financially responsible." Yeah, this guy is. I hope one day. I hope one day we go on a date. This has been a really nice, enjoyable friendship. (laughs) A friendly breakfast.